0: So today we're coming before Him um, for, with the message that um, God gave me of educate, equip and encourage. Uh, and that's what I'm here to do this morning is to, to help educate, equip, and encourage us as, as a church body, uh, us as individual believers in Christ. Um, and so we're going to start out of First Peter 3 verses 8 through 17. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you would inherit a blessing. For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against evil doers. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be in dread. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. But with gentleness and respect and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you were slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than what is wrong. All right, let's, let's go to the Father in prayer. Father God, I, I thank you for our time together as family this morning. Uh, I thank you that you gave us your word as an instruction book of, of how we're going to live each day, Father God. I um, come before you this morning and I ask you to prepare our eyes, our hearts, uh, our ears, and our minds, Father God. Uh, prepare our ears to hear what you have to say. Father God, prepare our eyes to see truth in in every situation. Father God, prepare our hearts to receive the words that you have for us. And Father God, um, prepare our minds to help us to remember that what it is you've shown us. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so um, just a a little quick recap about about me and who I am. Um, I consider myself a perpetual student. Um, I've pursued four academic degrees, three of which were here at ULM. Um, I've taught here at ULM in the field of family therapy. Um, I've been a conference speaker in the therapy field, both at the local, state, national, and international level, Um, and was in the process of uh, having some publications in family therapy, uh, was a a guest editor for several books that were used in classes. Um, And then everything in my life changed. Uh, Everything came to a stop. All of a sudden, I became very sick. And for about a year, the doctors couldn't figure out why. Um, and after that became a four-year four journey of seeking answers where there seemed to be none uh, back and forth to MD Anderson leaving my house pretty much only to go to the doctor um, was so sick that I wasn't able to work um, but you know God is faithful and just last month uh, celebrated a two-year anniversary of being completely and totally healed. Yeah. So it was about that time whenever um, the principal of a local Christian school approached me and and asked if I would consider um, stepping into a position to teach English to high schoolers. well, I'd never done that before. Um, but my mom did. She's still a teacher out there as well. Um, so I prayed about it and just really felt God leading me to, to accept that position. And so I stepped out in faith, even though I wasn't totally healed at that time, and um, have been in the classroom working with teens ever since. Um, a couple of A couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, um, I had my my AP seniors um, do a study on Hebrew poetry where we looked at Psalms 1 and talked them through the process of annotating the scripture the way that we annotate poems and works of literature. Um, And so we just went line by line through Psalms 1, um, pulling out the things that God wanted to show us um, and then talking about how to apply that to our lives. So this morning... um, um, that's kind of where I got the basis for this. God was like, you know, not only, not only did I give you this to, to share with your students, um, but I gave this to share with your family. Uh, so that's, that's what we're doing today. We're going to educate, equip, and encourage. Um, so if we look back at 1 Peter 3 um, in verses 8 through 9, if I were to sum that up, it would be as a call to unity for God's people. Uh, Peter tells us, all of you be harmonious, meaning be of one mind, acting as one. So if we look at 1 Corinthians 2.16, it talks to us about having the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, it tells us, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So I ask you, how do we have the mind of Christ? We simply cannot have the mind of Christ and know what he wants us to think if we are not reading and applying the word of God. As God's people, we are to be in unity which is not a call or an instruction to be the same. Um, To be in unity, um, I think of the body, like our body is made up of cells. Each of those cells have a different purpose. Um, So the cells in your heart are not the same as the cells that are in your big toe. They're, They're made of different things. They have different purpose, different structure. But they all carry the same code. They all carry the DNA that's specific to me, the DNA that's specific to you. and But somehow, through God's perfect design, all those different cells with the same DNA, the same mind, all work together for one purpose. And that's what we're called to do, um, to live in unity with each other. So then Peter tells us to be sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. Okay, that's the kind of love that we as Christians should have for one another at all times. This is the same call to arms that Jesus gives us in John 13:35. This call to arms that Jesus gives tells us by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what does it mean when our actions and interactions with one another are not bathed in this type of love that Jesus calls us to, this love for one another? Well, if my actions and reactions are not serving God, then they're serving self. And whenever I'm the master of myself, I'm not serving the Lord. I'm not even serving myself. Who am I serving? The enemy. Absolutely. When I'm serving the master of self, when I'm serving the enemy, my actions don't look like love. They look like anger. They look like lust. They look like addiction, pride, manipulation, selfishness, vanity, and the list continues ad infinitum. Um, indefinitely. So then Peter goes on to tell us, instead of returning evil for evil or insult for insult, give a blessing instead. Friends, the greatest challenge comes when we're called to love those that have wronged us. No dispute, no argument, no personality conflict among believers should ever linger. Even if one Christian gets out of line, the loving response of other Christians should keep the problem small and short-lived. But it's the natural response for us, whenever we're faced with hostility, is to retaliate. This is what the terrible ethnic conflicts all over the world are all about. One group wrongs another and then dedicates the rest of its existence to repaying that wrong. Only the love of Jesus for our enemies can break this terrible cycle. And friends, we see it played out like every political season, you know, one side smears the other, so then a retaliatory um, campaign comes out against that politician. Um, We see it played out in wars in the Middle East, um, and we see it played out in social media. Jesus reminded us that there is no great credit if we love those who only love us in return. The real test of love is to demonstrate compassion to our enemies, to demonstrate compassion to those who oppose us, to demonstrate love and compassion to those who've done us wrong. Um, So then Matthew 5, verse 44 through 47, um, tells us, But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Okay, so then we move back to Peter, who tells us, For you were called for the very purpose that you would inherit a blessing. Friends, we're to love one another. Not only for the sake of Jesus, whose body as a church we're members of, um, we are to love one another. But not only for the sake of our brother or sister or friend or neighbor who does not know the Lord, we are also to love one another for our own sake by blessing those who have wronged us. If we do that, his word tells us that we'll inherit a blessing. And for me in my life, a big reality check was about, um, about ten years ago uh, when my dad like suddenly and unexpectedly died. Um, <sighs> I've been a Christian and loved the Lord ever since I can remember. I was raised in a godly home by two godly parents. And whenever my dad died, it was the first situation that I'd encountered in my life that I I didn't have control of, that I couldn't somehow undo or make right. I was a therapist at the time, and um, I knew the journey that my mom would take, uh, having loved and lost this person that she'd known since she was young um 30 plus years of marriage and so i remember sitting on my bed one night at my parents house with the bible open and it was like god just all of a sudden hit me with the reality of either all of my word is true or none of it is And so in that moment, like I clung to Romans 8.28 that says, For God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. All things, not just some things or the pretty things or the not messy things. Paul very intentionally, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, chose the word all. And so our Bibles... God's love letter to us is filled with promises that we as Christians can cling to. But we don't know what promises are there, what promises to cling to, if we don't do what? Read it. Yeah. So... If you can't love for the sake of Jesus or for the sake of your brother or sister or friend or neighbor that doesn't know the Lord, then do it for your own sake because God is promise, promising us a blessing if we love, if we do good, if we don't do, grow tired of doing good. Peter gives us in verses 10 through 12 a quotation from Psalms 34 verses 12 through 16 which demonstrates the blessing that comes to those who turn away from evil and do good. So we're just going to recap that real quick. So it's originally out of Psalms. Peter pulls it out and quotes it for us in 1 Peter 3. It starts in verse 10. The one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. If Peter lived today... He would also probably add and keep his fingers from typing division, whether it be on social media or on text message. Um, He would also probably add and keep my mouth from calling my friend on the phone and letting them know what I really think. Because do we trust ourselves or do we trust him? So must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against evildoers. So am I in control? No. Are, are we in control? No. Who's in control? God. Doing good is often difficult because as a general rule, evil is immediately rewarded. And the reward of doing good is often delayed. Evil results in immediate gratification. You know, you have a want, a need, a desire. If you act in the flesh, that need is temporarily but immediately met. The reward of doing good is often delayed. It's a delayed satisfaction, a delayed reward, because guys, guess what? This life that we live here, it's the shortest leg of eternity, the shortest. And there are times I have to remind myself of that because we can get so easily overwhelmed with bills, with sickness, with trauma, with family stuff. I mean, all of it, Um, but we have to keep our focus on him. That's when we get our reward because the rewards of good are better and far more secure than the rewards of doing evil. God promises us in this passage of Psalms quoted by Peter that we will receive a reward for doing good. So if we look... In 1 Peter 3, chapters thirteen or verses 13 through 17, Peter gives us an instruction for how to handle things when our good is met with suffering. He, t- he asks, who is there to harm you? Though Peter says that Christians should always answer evil with good, he also lived in the real world, and he knew that people often repaid good with a response of evil. He then goes on to give us instruction to prove zealous ...for that which is good. Zealous. That's, that's a $5 word. You know, it's a good one to have in your vocabulary to just throw out there. Um, but zealous means to have energy and enthusiasm about your faith. So to prove zealous is a call to become a follower of Christ... ...with energy and enthusiasm. Some Jews during that time that Peter wrote this... ...were zealots, boasting their zeal for the Lord or his law... But all Christians, all of us who call ourselves Christ followers, should be zealous for good. So then Peter goes on, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Peter reminds us that there is even a blessing for us when we suffer for righteousness. God will care for us, especially when we suffer unjustly. Jesus spoke of the same attitude in Matthew 10, 28. He says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Our fear of not following God, not being obedient to God, should vastly outweigh Any fear that comes to us whenever we're prompted to give a a message to somebody, when we're prompted to share our faith, uh, our fear of God has to outweigh our fear of man. Because how many times do we hold back due to the fear of the response of others? You know, I I don't want to be made foolish. Um, I don't want to be talked about or discussed. But if my name is coming out of someone's mouth because I'm sharing the good news and I'm being obedient to Christ, then that's worth having to be talked about. Peter then tells us, do not fear their intimidation and do not be in dread. The presence or possibility of suffering for doing good should not make us shrink back from the actual doing of this good. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Christ is sanctified or valued as Lord with a well-defended hope. At the very center of our life, there should only be one Lord. Other lords are not permitted to invade the sanctuary of our heart. When we allow our own selfish desires, the opinions of others, worldly wisdom, the pressure of circumstances, and the, the list I could keep going until next week, um, when we allow those things to influence our thoughts, our beliefs, and our actions, we are bowing our knee to them as our Lord and not Christ. Peter then goes on to say, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Peter had to do this in Acts 2, 3, 4, and 5. And each time he was able to rely on the Holy Spirit within him to give a defense of his faith. We simply cannot do the same if we don't know the Word of God. Because, I mean, let's be honest. There are are many people who want Jesus as their Savior. But how many are... Truly dedicated to being disciples of the Lord. And we'll unpack verse 15 more in just a minute. But Peter goes on to say, but with gentleness and respect and keep a good conscience. So the Holy Spirit through Peter presents another call to always be ready to explain our faith with the right attitude. So that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So when we respond to evil or slander in a way that honors Christ, others are then proved wrong about their opinion of us, making them ashamed or convicted if they're fellow brothers or sisters in Christ. Peter then says, It is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. None of us want to suffer, but if we have to, may it be for the sake of Christ may it be for the furthering of the gospel. Others claim to suffer for the sake of the gospel, and this is when it is so vitally important that we know the truth that's found in the word of God so that on on those days in that time, we'll be able to defend our faith when it's required in order to separate truth from lie. Okay, so point two um, is equip, and we're going to revisit verse 15 of uh, 1 Peter 3. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. This is a call to apologetics for all Christians, all Christians. Um, you've probably heard the word apologetics thrown around if you've you know, grown up in the church or been here for a minute or a season. Um, it's essentially just a, a Greek word for the defense of our faith. Um, So it's based on the Greek apologia, which means defense, and not defense as in, um, you know, I get defensive whenever someone tries to argue with me, but it's from, um, from like a law perspective. It's the way a lawyer defends a client in court. So apologetics is both a science and an art because it's a combination of facts and evidence. Um, Just a a fun fact. Did you know that the vast majority of historians, even secular historians, um, agree that there is enough evidence to prove the birth, life, and crucifixion of Christ? As Christians, we need to know that. Um, as well as the authenticity of the Bible, that it was a a work that was documented and completed. Um, It is a historical document. The defense of our faith or apologetics is not to be argumentative because remember the attitude that Peter tells us that we should have. It should be loving. It should be bathed in good but it exists as a response to the lies of the enemy, the questions of those that God puts in our path, and at times, the actions and reactions of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, So, you know, you think about Matthew 18 that tells us to go to our brother or sister if we have um, something that, you know, is a disagreement or something that we feel as though God has put inside of us to share with them. and we go to them in person. We don't you know, put it on social media and tag everybody we know to you know, then prove a passive aggressive point for you know, someone that we are actually called to love. The goal of apologetics is not to convince someone they are wrong. It's designed to put a pebble in their shoe so that the Holy Spirit can begin to work, with, work on them i don't know if you've ever you know gone throughout your day and discovered that there's a rock in your shoe with every single step you take you're reminded that there's a rock in your shoe um and it keeps reminding you until you actually sit down and take it out well that's what the defense of our faith does whenever we're able to clearly and accurately communicate that which we know is true that then plants a seed that then begins to just grow and develop and continue to let the Holy Spirit work on them. Because as Christ followers, we have to prepare, be prepared at all times to defend the hope that was within us. Because you don't prepare your lifeboat during a storm, you do it in advance. Um, and. If this is an area of your life that you feel needs strengthening, like knowing what it is you know, why it is you know it, and how to conv- like articulate it to someone else, um, there will be a, a life group this next rotation, uh, walking you step by step through the basics of being able to defend your faith as each and every one of us are called to do. Okay, point number three is Encourage. Looking back on 1 Peter 3, verses eight and nine, he tells us to sum it up. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing and said, for you were called for the very purpose that you would inherit a blessing. Friends, both individually and as a church, we receive God's blessing if we act in faith and not in our feelings. And looking at the word faith, um, there's not an accurate English description of what the original Greek word was intended to do. Um, The most accurate analogy that I can give you guys is it's similar to breathing. It's continual. You're breathing. That's how we should be faithing. It should be continual. The only time our faithing is to stop as followers of Christ is the moment that our faith becomes sight. So how do we build our faith? Well, in Romans 10, 17, Paul tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if we aren't reading and knowing the word, our faith is weak. If we aren't reading and knowing the word, how will we tell others? Okay, hey, Pastor Chad, if you want to come back up, Isaiah 55:11 tells us, "So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth; it shall not return to me void." But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Guys, we're just called to be planters of seeds. But we're called to be planters of seeds with strength, with boldness, and with assurance. And since God tells us in his word that what he speaks, his word, does not return void, then it's up to the Holy Spirit to do the rest. It's not up to me, it's not up to you. The Holy Spirit is so good at his job. Friends, in life there will be moments that you find yourself broken and shaken. It is in these moments that our ever faithful God allows the truth we have planted in our mind to rescue our hearts in our quest for unshakable hope. In these moments we stand on what we know not on what we feel because the cross of Christ is unshakable and because of that we can have unshakable faith and hope we are emotional beings when our emotions feel threatened we often ask ourselves where is God is God doing anything friends he is all the time and everything look to the cross The cross that bridges the gap between Old Testament law and New Testament grace. The cross that even secular historians have verified the existence of. The cross of Jesus himself that he reminds us in Luke 9 to pick up and carry daily. To pick up and carry continually like faith. C.S. Lewis is hands down one of my favorite authors. If you've never read any of his stuff, you can literally pick up any of his books and read it and God will begin to work on your heart. But one of my favorite quotes from him is simply this, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. My my brother once said um, that Satan is a master anesthesiologist. He uses the distractions and desires of this world to put our longing for him to sleep. So church... Let's not be put to sleep, let's wake up.